I really like that. That was really cool. That's what I should that's what I meant to say too when I was talking about how I felt like the movie was made for me. But what, where it really was strong for me was in like the actual sound design, like the full work and everything. Right? What, did, what did you rate it? This was my favorite part of the sound design. Oh yeah, it by far is the best. You the killed dog. my friend, yeah. but you killed my friend's dog. But you made one, <laughs> one really bad mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sharing the show with a friend is how we're gonna grow this community. We a really good movie. I'm, I'm ready to, to get into why it was so good. Welcome to Backseat Directing, where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts, Andrew and Aaron. We put out new episodes every Monday and Thursday. And on this episode, we're talking about The Killer. Three, two, one, action. David Fincher's must must <laughs> run it back, run it back, and action. David Fincher's new movie dropped on Netflix, and I've been looking forward to this movie ever since we first heard that it was being released, which was back in the beginning of 2023, so earlier this year. So we've waited a long time for this to come out. It's finally here. What were your first first thoughts? Okay, so before I get into my first thoughts, I do want to thank the audience for tuning in with us and definitely make sure to drop a follow or subscribe. Make sure whatever platform you're on that you're following us so you don't miss any of our content. Leave a like on the video. It helps us out a ton. Also, sharing us with friends and family is the best way to, for us to grow the show and grow the conversation about movies that we want to have. But The Killer, I was so beyond excited for this movie. And when it started playing, like the first, like, that first section of the movie in the um, in, in the room with the killer, I was thinking the whole time, like, this is the perfect movie for me. Like, this, you know when people, like, listen to, like, a Bruce Springsteen song and they're like, this was written for me. Like, <laughs> I was watching this movie. I was like, this was made for me. Like, it's exactly what my taste is. Yeah. It's David Fincher, which I love his, like, really controlled but really, like, gritty and, like, kind of dirty style. Like, not, mm -hmm. like, the the environments are always so, like, grim, like, sad. Yeah. And, like, it feels, like, a little dirty. And I so I love that, like, realistic tone. I love, like, the way he lights scenes. And then it's a story about uh, a killer. Um, so it's, like, has that dark aspect, too. It's about, has, like, a psychological aspect. It's a character study. And it's played by Michael Fassbender. It's got action, drama, intrigue. And so I was, like, this is what I would have like written down if I, if they could like make a request for a movie, I would have said <laughs> David Fincher making a movie about a serial killer again, Boom. <laughs> played by Michael Fassbender. Like this. So it, I was so excited and watching it, I was, it was pl it play out. I was like, they're executing like exactly what I want. I do have some complaints that I'll get into as always. Sure. But I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I put it in my top three so far for the year, which is tough because I think Past Lives is objectively a better movie, but I like The Killer more. Like I said, it really fits for me. Yeah. So as nothing wrong with that. So I think this would probably be my second or third favorite movie of the year. Obviously, Across the Spider Verse is up there as well. Yeah, it's definitely up there for. It's definitely in the top five uh, of the year for me as well. Uh, like you said, I love this style of movie. You know, where it just feels like you're there. It feels like it's in the world that we live in yeah. and there's something about that that just like draws me in you know like i can't look away 
Every shot was beautiful. The lighting was amazing. The camera movement was awesome. The sound design was like through the roof, which we're going to dive into oh, yeah, more. Oh, yeah. um, before we continue, I do want to say we're going to be talking about spoilers. Yes. Uh, when we normally do in our movie reviews. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, go watch it. It's on Netflix. So it's a very easy barrier to entry to go and see this movie right now. If you don't have Netflix, use your friend's Netflix yeah. <laughs> and watch it. <laughs> Who doesn't have <laughs> access to Netflix? Come on, um, but yeah, it was it was a really good movie. I'm I'm ready to to get into why it was so good. I agree. So, starting so to interrupt you, I I hate when people like say all oh, my top three whatever and don't like unveil the details. Mm. So I said Spider Verse. I want to say my favorite movie of the year right now is Barbie. Okay, my favorite movie of the year is probably Across the Spider Verse. Fair. Yeah, uh, and then for me, Creed Three is up there as well. Um, I'd say that's kind of in the top three or so. The Killer is up there. Um, I enjoyed Barbie. I enjoyed Oppenheimer. But I like the other three a little more, I think. So that's that's like a rough guesstimate of my top five as well. And so. there's still more to come in the year. So we'll that's do right. our movie recap at the end of the year, too. I'm excited for that. We, we have a lot of cool episodes coming up, you know, where we talk about our... Our uh, movie draft. We're gonna redo our movie off. draft yep. at the beginning of next year and do a draft for 2024. Yeah, we'll which talk about who won this? That's week. gonna be a lot of fun. Just kind of looking at all the new projects that are coming up. That was exciting last year. You know, like being like, oh, like I'm looking forward to this movie, and then it comes out and it's trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aaron, Aaron's referencing our movie draft, which if you're just listening to this episode and you haven't seen that episode. Um, we picked the movies that we thought were going to earn the most at the box office for 2023. We each drafted five. Yep. Right now, my Episode team, 50, if you want to go back and watch us actually draft the movies. Right now, my team's a little bit in the lead because I had Barbie. Yeah. Um, Aaron did have Mario Bros., so we've got the two like yep. grossing movies, but Aaron still has... I have two movies the, left. The Marvels has had a, a poor opening weekend, the lowest for the MCU since Incredible Hulk. Um, but there's still time for it to make more money, and then you have Aquaman coming out at the end of the year. <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> I haven't really heard much about it, right? They dropped that one trailer, but that's all I've really shoots. Yeah, seen. Like um, so, yeah, it's, I, I feel like you're ahead by quite a bit. I don't have the most updated numbers, but I think you're ahead by, like, at least $800 million. So you're you're up there. I think it's going to be hard for my movies to make 400 each. Uh, Aaron's trying to use reverse psychology to, to give himself good karma here. But, um, <laughs> I hope so. Let's, let's get back to the killer, though. You have the... Um... Yeah, so starting off with a summary, this is a about a assassin. You said serial killer earlier, which kind of the same thing, right? Um, just one is paid and the other is a psycho. <laughs> a, a, a successful assassin becomes a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but basically, he has a near miss on a job, and then he goes through fighting his uh, previous employers to kind of get back and make sure that he is safe. Uh, I don't want to say too much kind of in the uh, summary here that reveals a lot, but we're, we're going to kind of break into it. Uh, right now, this movie obviously came out this year, 2023. It's rated R. It's an hour and 58 minutes, which is very digest digestible. I feel like uh, a lot of movies lately have been like 215, 230, 240 yeah, the lately. Yeah, this was an hour and 45 minutes, which I found out was the like the shortest MCU movie made. Wow, that is really doesn't, short. It doesn't for... even seem like an mcu movie it doesn't seem that short though in the overall scheme like there's a lot of movies we used to get hour 20 hour 30 movies very, very regularly especially comedies right. like in the 2000s right um 
Uh, IMDb has this movie rated at a 6.9 out of 10. I'm very excited and curious to see what Andrew has this rated at, which we'll talk about here. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. He worships the ground that I walk on. He's so excited. You're my friend. I'm, I'm <laughs> curious of your opinion. I don't worship you. Calm down. He wants to know what he should think about the movie, so he's gonna. he wants to hear what I said. No, I have my scores written down. Don't worry. We'll Without even knowing don't what yours were. Don't. We'll read my, don't start we'll read my scores first. <laughs> um, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have it at a 86% with 217 reviews, and then the audience has it at a 62 with a thousand plus reviews, which I found interesting that there's a 20 or so percent difference, yeah. but the audience is lower than the critics. I feel like normally it's the other way around. Um, you have any thoughts on that? Isn't that weird? I think that he has, uh, Fincher has an interesting track record with critics because there, when I was looking through his IMDb filmography the other day for prepare for this episode, he has quite a few movies at like a 6.9, which I, I don't feel like a 6.9 is bad, but I was shocked that at the 6.9 because like fight clubs in like the upper eights like mm -hmm. fight club is a you know esteemed movie of in the history of like film yeah what's uh, uh what's seven and social network at they got to be decent right i remember that i just remember some of the movies that i love li like those two being shockingly low let's uh let me go through it here and i'll find it which one are you looking up i'm just i'm just have his filmography here on okay. IMDb, so it'll have all of them. Social Network has a 7.8. A 7.8? Yep. See, like, that's, for me, that's low. Yeah, I know. That's one of your favorite movies, though, so. Yeah. Any, pretty much any number I was about to say was going to be too like, low for you. Mank is only a 6.8. Gone Girl's surprisingly high with an 8.1, which I, I say surprisingly it's a great movie, but, like, for some of these other movies, like, it's higher than Social Network, which is crazy to me. Social Network is only a 7.8. 7 has an 8.6. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, also only a 7.8. The Zodiac. The that he directed that. Yeah. Zodiac, only a 7.8. Like, Panic Room is a 6.8. These are good movies. Like, how is Panic... I don't know how Panic Room is rated lower than the game. The game's 7.7, but... I don't know if I've seen Panic Room. It's a Jodie Foster and um, Forrest Whitaker, Jared Leto. Sound good? Should I add it to my yeah, list? Add it to the list. It's, yeah. it's all takes place in one house. Um, it's like the story of like um, what they call that a home invasion, mm -hmm. and they have panic room. Obviously, um, young Kristen Stewart's in it. From, okay, so it's it's okay. got a really stacked cast, and it's like I love when movies have to creatively use like a single setting or like a limited yeah. environment to make a whole plot. And yeah, it's very entertaining. I in anticipation for this movie, I like came to realize that david fincher is one of my very favorite directors like there's just something about like the genre that he operates in this like kind of grounded yeah, like, like crime girl with the dragon tattoos yeah oh, yeah like, like his movies have a feel to them you know? yeah and i feel like these are the kind of movies that i want to make you know like I yes, I I love the superhero movies. They're some of my like favorite movies ever, you know, like maybe they're a little more exciting and stuff, but when it comes to like making a film, like this is who I want to like aspire to yeah. be. Yeah, like I, yeah, that's a good that's a good pick. I, yeah, me like, too. It's just the way his movies look and the the pacing and stuff, it's so like it's there. Yeah, dude. you know. And you can feel the the eerie nature of his movies. You feel it like it's I don't know what he does, but like Zodiac, there's like a daytime scene where the Zodiac's attacking this couple at the lake. Yes. And even though it's bright day, it still feels like a like dark. Dark. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just something about him. Yeah. Like yeah. all of Seven is dark. It's written Seven, it's raining for like two hours of the runtime. Like, yeah, it's good, man. Um, okay, so 
budget and box office. This is a little interesting because it's a Netflix film. So like they like to hide their numbers, you know, and, and skew their numbers to be the, they're in their favor. You know, like statistics is on everyone's side, right? No matter which side of the argument you're on, you can yeah. find statistics to back you up and it's just that how you use them. them. Uh, so, so it's the number one most watched show uh, movie on Netflix right now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> um, or it's like, it's a brand new thing. The first day on, it's like in the top 10. It's like, come on. I, I think if it's super unbelievable that it's like number one, then they'll put it like number three. It seems <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So budget for this, it's not on IMDb, which is normally where we find our budget information. So I just found it on Google. Estimated budget, $175 million, which... Sounds about right, but it also sounded like maybe a little high Sounds for like for me what too. this movie is. I wonder, I have seven pulled up right here. Let's see what their budget is. I mean, the budget for that Russo Brothers movie, The Gray Man, that they did was like super high. 200, million. That's so cheap. <laughs> you know, he you know, like, I mean, that was also in 95, so that was a long time ago. Yeah, Seven's uh, also doesn't use as many locations because like, I don't know where I they... feel like they're actually filmed. over of quite a bit of places i, I think no, uh, i mean in terms you of mean like, like traveling the world yes yeah because yeah, they like europe florida um where they go um in louisiana as well mm -hmm. i think yeah they moved all around in this movie but here here's another one uh social network 40 you know so let's see what gone girl is the only filming location listed on imdb though is chicago illinois really they did a good job of making all these locations look different and uh, unique to where they were supposed to be at. I don't know. Gone they, Girl, 61. I don't know how they didn't film in Europe because like the cobblestone streets and stuff in the opening. Like, Are you sure was, they only filmed in Chicago? I don't, I don't know if I believe this. It's just what yeah. it says on IMDb. But yeah, Gone Girl, 61. So 175 sounds a little bit high. Uh, but again, take that with a grain of salt. It was hard to find a reliable source, you know. Netflix is definitely keeping that closed. Now, it did come out in select theaters, which in our trailer reaction for this, we found out that it was like 10 <laughs> theaters, you know, and like you have to live in like these, <laughs> these uh, really populated areas to actually be able to go see this in theaters. But the theater run only brought in 362,000. So it's like before we even started filming, you were like, What's the point? Yeah, you know, but it's better. It's, like, it's it is truthfully, it's better than nothing. But yeah, it's, it also makes you think like you might as well put it on Netflix for three hundred thousand. Like yeah, like we, we've talked about this before. Like just release it a full theater run and then put it on Netflix straight after. You can't get it anywhere else unless you yeah. buy the DVD or whatever. Like it's only on Netflix. You got to get it there. Like if it's a wide theater release, I think more people will go just for the theater experience. I would have. Oh, I would have too. We have no access to it. Absolutely. It, like I would have loved to see this in theaters without like making an incredible journey. Yeah. What sitting in nice, nice chairs with big screen and some chicken fingers. Mm. Perfect. <laughs> you can get the chicken fingers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Um, okay. Before we go on to our scores and kind of our breakdown of each category, we're going to talk about the creators in front of and behind the camera. Andrew. Take it away. So the director of The Killer, we sung his praises so much. You already know his name is David Fincher. We've said it so many times already in this episode. <laughs> the movie, uh, it's written by Andrew Kevin Walker and uh, Alexis Noland and Luke Giacomon, which I believe Luke Giacomon is the, um, the comic book author getting credited for his work creating the character in the story. Very nice, um, very nice. Michael Fassbender 
uh, stars along with Tilda Swinton. Uh, I'm sorry, Michael. I should say Michael Fassbender stars as the killer. We never get his name throughout the movie, although we do get a ton of aliases. I think we get upwards of close to 10 aliases. Uh, Tilda Swinton is the expert. Charles Parnell is Hodges, the lawyer. Um, Arliss Howard is the client, Claiborne. Uh, Carrie O'Malley is Dolores. Let's see. Um, Emiliano Pernilla is Marcus. Gabriel Palancho is Leo. And Sala Baker is the brute. The final person we'll say on here, uh, Andre Hules is the target in the opening of the movie. So you'll notice that half, about half of those people um, either have a name and are also referred to as something like the client, like a title, mm -hmm. um, or don't have a name at all, like the killer or the expert or the brute. The, um, I like it when movies do that yeah, sometimes, you know, it adds cool. to the yeah. mystery. You know, it's yeah. like we, we've been following this killer, this assassin, but we don't really know him, yeah. which kind of adds to the, the mystery and the, you know, like if you were, so, if you met him, you wouldn't know him, yeah. You know, so it, it's kind of like we're seeing him in passing. It, you know, it dehumanizes him too because yep. he's doing a lot of really villainous things, and it also adds to the concept of the industry that they're in—the industry of assassination and murder—that it strips away your identity because mm -hmm. all three of the people don't have names that are hired killers, and I think it's highlighting the fact that they're tools to yeah. these people, to the people like Hodges or the people like the client, they are simply like a tool. There's like a really good quote in the movie about it, which I'm going to get to reading some of these quotes and like asking you about which is your favorite and delving into them when we dissect the character in yeah. a little bit. I'm, I'm excited. So, um, so that was all the people in front. What about, did, did you talk about who's behind? I talked about the, the director and the writers, but let me get the cinematographer here. Yeah. The and the editor well. as well. If you can find it. Oh, I can find it. Oh Yeah. Yep, so the screenplay itself is by Andrew Kevin Walker. So just to differentiate that from the creators of the comics. Now, the music is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, which Trent Reznor, I think, was the, um, a member of Nine Inch Nails. He's, oh, okay. Trent, Trent Reznor, is, um, he did the music for The Social Network. So he's, he's been working with David Fincher. I think they must have a good working relationship. Uh, I hope I pronounced this name correctly for cinematographer. It's Eric uh, Messerschmidt uh, is the director of photography of this movie, which... Beautiful job. This movie yeah. so good. Thank what else you. has he worked on? Anything? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. This. So he also worked on Mank, so he's worked with David Fincher before. I haven't um, seen that movie. Have you? I have not. It's a... It's a Netflix movie. Yeah. Watch it on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie, and it's his second most recent film, right? I think it's the only feature-length David Fincher movie I haven't seen. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. So I have to catch up with that. It, um, the 6.8 rating isn't like great, but I don't trust the ratings. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this, those are his two biggest credits. It looks like for director cinematography he's obviously done a ton of other work as a camera operator or like a second DP gaffer, lighting consultant, worked on a lot of movies. Um, other than that, but he's mainly cinematographer, like his, where he's really done that job is mm -hmm. Mank and the killer with David Fincher. How about the editor? The editor of The Killer is Kirk Baxter. Well done. I think he did a good job. Oh, supremely edited. edited. But I mm -hmm. think that also um, Fincher's heavily involved with the edit. I don't want to take credit away from Kirk. If, yeah. But it, it, from I what mean, I understand in the past, he's been involved with the edit as well. Yeah. The, level. I mean, the director of the film is going to have like a big say in how the edit goes. But then like the editor is... is Put in his own style. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's, he's contributing, you know, like it's not just like he's the button pusher. Like yeah. he's, he's 
helping. Yeah, it's not like he's like a mouse operator and David Fincher standing over his shoulder, like drag that yeah. thing shorter. Yeah. Know? It's uh, just, an, just an involvement. Right. I think that it, not every director necessarily has. And it's a, it's a partnership too. Yeah. Like if they don't work together, then like that, it's not going to be as, as good, yeah. you know, opposed to like a director and editor who are on the same page and can bounce ideas off each other, you know, like, uh, it's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool the different roles that go into making a movie. But yeah. I want to get I want to find out what your rating is. So we rate these movies on our own five uh, categories. Six. Well, the secret six category I was going to get telling you about later. But on, on, a, on a six category scale, um, the first four categories are rated out of ten, yep. and then the last two are rated out of five. So the first category of our rating system is story. Story. Aaron, what did you give the story out of a ten? So I gave it a six out of ten. And I, I, I could be persuaded you to give it a little more, but I think I have it there just because um, there's a few parts that I wish there was a little bit more of. Um, and but before I like say like what I didn't like about it, like I really like how we we're just kind of following the killer. Yeah. How it's like a like you said, it's like a character study. It's. It's we're following one person through his job. Something went wrong. So, like, how is he going to get out of this? How is he going to solve this problem? I thought that was very interesting. Um, I also kind of enjoyed that there wasn't a bunch of dialogue, you know, and that a lot of it, or at least on screen dialogue, because he's he's like narrating it in his head, you know, like as he's going through. I really liked that. That was really cool. That's what I should. That's what I meant to say too. And I was talking about how I felt like the movie was made for me. Was I've told you before how I like yeah. text on the screen, uh, and the locations, and internal dialogue yes. in the form of narration. And this movie had both of those as well. Yeah, like the the opening scene is like what, like fifteen minutes long. It's it's a it's kind of drawn out, but it's so good. I was like glued to the screen, you know, because we're seeing him go through his process, you know, of how it's. He even says like. If you're not, if you can't handle boredom, like you can't do this job kind of yeah. thing. And it, the opening line to the movie is like something about how excruciating bored, like doing nothing. And yeah. How difficult it is to do absolutely nothing. And I think they did a good job of showing the monotony of what his job entails, but keeping me interested as a viewer. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they showed me that this is boring and they kept showing me how boring it is. But the whole time I was watching. You know, yeah. I was very excited to see what happens next. I felt like the 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 target could show up at any moment. The way they were filming it, right? I, which was kept me kind of anticipating, like mm -hmm. him looking down the street. Is which one of these people he's looking at? Maybe one of them's already the target. I right? Don't know. Like I I felt like that anticipation. Yeah. With that whole sequence, I I, I liked in the story how he's traveling to different points or different locations to kind of basically eliminate different people who got him into this situation, you know, uh, clearing the board. Yeah. yeah. It's like he has something at stake now. So instead of like removing himself from the equation, which the lawyer says is the easiest route, he decides to remove everyone else from the equation. Right. Okay. So what was your score? So I was joking before. I actually also gave it a six out of 10. Oh, shoot. So I, I gave it, I mean, like you, I could be persuaded maybe to bring it up to a seven. Yeah. But the strength of the story, like you said, is in like the character study and like all the details of yeah. the individual character. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like they failed us like in the bigger sense, like in the step yes. back and look at the overall plot. Yeah. It's like the, it's kind of um, not very unique, I guess was my problem. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a revenge story, which we get a yep. lot of revenge stories. But for me, the revenge story wasn't, that strong no uh like yeah if you felt no connection to like this 
Yeah, it, it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere, right? So, like, his... Was it... I have questions about it anyways. Was it his uh, his employer that killed... Or, like, the people that he worked with killed his... Or attacked his, so the, his partner, the right? lawyer Hodges, who was his, like, handler, who had set him up with jobs, kind of like an employer. He's yeah. Like, he's, like, the go-between, connecting mm -hmm. him with right. potential employers. He offered the the client the chance for like insurance which is yeah. like cleaning cleaning up shop and like getting rid of this loose end which he became a loose end when he failed the job right so and the client took him up on it so like kind of the two of them together are the villains like yeah hodges and the client and like, what he just wasn't home yet when they got there so they like took it out on the his partner and tried to find out where he was i think they were trying to track him home and that's why hodges says I never thought in a million years you would have gone home. Why would you go home? Like, that's so stupid. But he's going home because he has something he cares about now. Yeah. It's like out of basically the code for mm -hmm. his own personal code and like the code of the job. So he like, I think in a way led them to the door and then, and then he wasn't, he wasn't home yet. So they attacked, well, then not, I think they didn't maybe expect her to be there. And then they ended up attacking her. She refused to give it. But they home. didn't show him like being followed at all or anything to like they, get to his they home. They showed him like looking at different people, like suspicious of them. Basically, mm -hmm. if you, I don't know if you remember, there was like a guy in a suit who I think he saw more than once. Yeah. So he was like, they showed his paranoia and like mm -hmm. his fear and suspicion of being followed, insinuating that he's thinking he might be followed. But yeah, they didn't. I don't. But think, it seemed like they were staking out his house, right? Because there was a bunch a of, of cigarettes. Yeah, there. like. So they were waiting for him. So, so they were there for a they while. They had been waiting for him to come home, and then the, his female companion came home. Yeah. And then they, thinking it's him, maybe from a distance or some or what have you, then they approached the yeah. house. But basically, the motivation of this like revenge path wasn't very strong for me. I agree. You know, like and like the the culmination of it at the end was very dissatisfactory as well. Yeah, you know, like this, all that to give a warning to the person who's really ultimately made the decision. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I guess you could argue the lawyer's worse. The lawyer knew him and like betrayed him like that. But that that guy, he just struck the fear of God into him. And like that guy could, you know, pay somebody else to come back after. I mean, he's yeah. choosing to live in the same place as where he was struck before. It just seemed very anticlimactic. Yeah, this was probably the best movie with the most anticlimactic movie or ending that I've ever seen. You know, like I was a little like, oh man, like that's it at the end, you know, rather than being hyped up like I was during the the fight scene yeah, that I, we got, you yeah, know. Like, I had no stake in the relationship and I wish that he was just like isolated and alone. Mm -hmm. You know, like I wish it was like they came after him and then he was just like I'm done. And yeah. Like, you know, like went out out of like just anger at the insult of somebody trying to like do a job on him. Yeah. I, I feel like the relationship anchor was just really like what a lot we've seen a lot before. Yeah. You know? And then like avenging and we've seen it a lot, but also like we didn't really get to see a lot of it yeah. in this film. So like it, it didn't drive me. It didn't connect me to the character necessarily. But watching him go through the process once he found out what they were doing, you know, like that was all interesting. Yeah. Uh, but that, that could have been a little more. The approach to that was like, that makes this movie special and good and unique. It feels to me like Dexter mixed with like Jason Bourne. Yes. The international. That's a good comparison. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we want to take this time to thank anyone who's listened this far. We really appreciate you guys. Hopefully you'll make it all the way to the end of the episode with us. Um, we, 
would like to ask you while we have this chance to go ahead and like and subscribe and share us with friends and families. You can follow us on all platforms. We are everywhere. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. We are all over the place. So you can follow us anywhere that you like to get your content. We post vi short videos daily and we post our long videos every Monday and Thursday. So we're, we're on Spotify. We're everywhere. You looked like you had to really think when we posted this. Thursday. <laughs> what, what days? Yeah. Every Monday and Thursday. And yeah, sharing the show with a friend is how we're going to grow this community. We have a few of you that were in the comments all the time. You know, we're, we're kind of going back and forth. And it's a lot of fun talking about these movies and shows that we do our episodes on. So it'd be really cool to just keep adding more people to the conversation. So if you could share it with a friend, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Thanks again, Aaron. Uh, we are about to get into our acting category. So I'd like to hear what you rated the show for acting out of 10. Boom. Okay. So for this out of 10 for acting, I gave it a 7.5. I thought the acting was really good. However, we didn't get to see a lot of, a lot of people. So it was all kind of focused on Michael Fassbender. And I think he did a great job, but at the same time, I feel like I could see a few other actors in the role as well, you know, and they could have done just as well, uh, maybe even a little better, possibly. Um, so, like, I wasn't necessarily, like, I'm not 100% attached to Michael Fassbender's performance, but at the same time, he did a really good job. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense at all. You I know, see, do you I get see, where I'm kind I of going? what you're saying. You just feel like it, like... Like you said, like someone else could have done the same yeah. thing. Like it wasn't, maybe he didn't own it as much as you wanted him to own it. Yeah. But or, I, or maybe it was the script too that didn't allow it to to thrive. Or like maybe we didn't see enough like support on the screen either. You know, like there's a few factors that kind of go into it. But I think a 7.5 is still a good score. It's easier to sell a character when you're interacting with more right. people. And it's a very isolated performance for him. Yeah. A lot, especially in the opening, a lot of time by himself. But right. even generally throughout the movie, like his interactions with people are even really limited, which I think is purposeful in the script. Like, yeah. His, his, when he could be like questioning or pushing Hodges for more information, he's just like, mm, I'm going to shoot some nails into your chest instead. Right. Like he's more of a man of action than, a man. and that's why that internal dialogue I think is so important in this movie because we would get hardly anything from him without right. the internal dialogue. We get some of the best lines in the movie. Right. And like the internal dialogue is really good. I think he displayed the emotion on like, or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah. Through his performance, you know, we got to see the conflict and what he was going through. Uh, but for me, like that's that doesn't like elicit like a ten out of ten. Yeah. You know, like when I'm thinking of um, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. You know, like we gotta think, we gotta think of something else. We always <laughs> we always say that. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. I just feel like a, there wasn't a a lot there to really judge for the acting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gave the acting an 8 out of 10. I thought it was I I thought it was really strong, but I thought it was missing some things. I think that there's like a description in the plot summary of the movie and also for the comics, which mm -hmm. is movies based on talking about how the killer is kind of psychologically unraveling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I didn't feel a lot of that throughout this yeah. movie. I feel like he felt really in control. Uh, the, I feel like sometimes he was physically out of control when environmental factors were making it hard for him to do his job or complete a task. But I feel like he stayed very mentally in control and maybe they showed a little bit of paranoia and a little bit of isolation and a little bit of poor people skills, but it didn't feel like psychological unraveling or psychosis. So I feel like right. maybe that could have made added more to the performance and his, more interesting. His demeanor kind of stayed the same throughout the whole movie. And I think that's kind of where I'm going with like the 7.5. Like he did what he did very well, but there just wasn't a 
wide variety of performance yeah. to really go off it's of. It's like, like I said, when he made mistakes, there was like a lack of physical control, like in the opening, accidentally missing the target and mm-hmm. killing someone else. And then his reaction's like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's then he's like, all right, let's get it done. And he like handles yeah. everything, which is a really cool scene. Don't you love how he like was every piece of like the equipment that he brought with him? He's just doling it out, like yep. smoothly tossing it into a trash can here off the bridge into the dump truck, like yeah. the, while going 70 miles per hour, probably on a motorcycle the whole time. Like yeah. he's like, he's very robotic. And I like that about the performance. I feel like it's strong in the script too. Mm-hmm. Like he feels Terminator-esque. He feels robotic. He, yeah. when he eats McDonald's. He's like an, an easy way to get uh, some protein for a one pound. It's like he removes the bread and he's like eating just the meat from the McDonald's breakfast sandwich, the Egg McMuffin. It's like he's. it seems like he's eating purely for sustenance. Like yeah. he's doing all these things out of like habit and necessity. Like there's no desire when he's like on the job. And that seems like how someone in this job would have to be. You right? have to like, eliminate emotion to like do it. Eat, yeah. You're right. Like when he's in these stressful situations where something messed up or like the environment uh, caused something to happen that's out of his control, he's he doesn't sway too far either direction, which someone with his experience, that's that's how you have to handle it. He said he's put in his 10,000 hours, which is like, I think, a term of reference for becoming an expert. If you've Mm -hmm. done 10,000 hours in something, you're an expert. So he's done 10,000 hours of being the killer, an assassin. And so when Chico hits the fan, that's who you want to be like, that's who you want to have hired is the the guy who has done it a, a thousand times before. Yeah. So he's super smooth under pressure. Like when the, when he's timing the door, he counts to like eight Mississippis for the door. Yeah. He's like at the water. That was really cool, right? He's, he's so perfectly like, you know, normally if you are in a tense situation, you count faster, your breathing increases. Mm-hmm. But he's like. He's like, well, he's one, constantly like yeah. monitoring his heart rate too. Yeah. And so, but that, that's where we see a little bit of his character, like changing as it gets personal. Mm-hmm. He hangs his watch up on the rearview mirror of the car when he's going after the brute yeah. because he recognizes he's like, I'm not going to get my heart rate below yeah. 60. Like this is, you know, there's the dog out front. There's this huge Goliath he's confronting. Yeah. So like he's a bit slowly abandoning his rules, which is causing him to like, don't get emotional. Yeah. Be sloppier. Yeah. Um, but while we're talking about the performance and all these aspects of this character, I want to talk about some of the quotes from the movie that I think inform the character and kind of get into our interpretation of it and why I think the writing is so good in these quotes. But um, one of them uh, is, of those who like to put their faith in the inherent goodness of mankind, I have to ask, based on what exactly? Mm-hmm. So he's he is myopic. He has no faith in, in humanity, we're shown here. Like, he's basically very jaded, and he's come to, like, He's, he sees people, I think, in terms of like targets or obstacles um, other than the one person he cares about, which is why he feels so strongly grasped onto that one person and has yeah. a visceral reaction to her being attacked. Yeah. It, it, yeah. He's not only is like the world just a bad place to him, but he starts listing out all these statistics in the beginning oh, yeah. and then says like, my work is not going to change the statistics at all. 140 like, million human beings are born every year, give or take. Worldwide population is approximately 7.8 billion. Every second, 1.8 people die, while 4.2 are born in that very same second. Nothing I've ever done will make a dent in any of those metrics. So he's justifying his own behavior. Like right. he, You have to do that to do what he does, I think. And all these things he's saying go into like how he basically shuts his brain off. Like I said, becomes a robot and does what he does. Yeah, he, He's finding a way to justify murdering people, right. you know? And at one instant, on one side, it's like, yeah, he's right. Like what he's doing isn't necessarily going to make that big of a dent in worldwide statistics, but 
you're adding to the problem. Yeah. You know, and like, but still on a, on a grassroots level, yeah. you're murdering somebody, look at, look, go take the microscope in. They've got a family, you know, they've got yeah. loved ones and you're, you're choosing to kill them for money. Right. Um, but the, the, the other one that I want to get into was, uh, my process is purely logistical, narrowly focused by design. I'm not here to take sides. It's not my place to formulate an opinion. No one who can afford me needs to waste time winning me to some cause. I serve no God or country. I fly no flag. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a fuck. And I, so it's, it's all about him just removing his humanity and turning, like flicking that switch of turning off morality completely. I like the phrase of, I serve no God or country, I fly no flag. Mm -hmm. It's basically like, I have no allegiance. It's, yeah. it's, it's not even necessarily about going to who pays the most money. It's just about like, I have a job doing his, I have a job to do, yeah. you know, it's not, not necessarily that I believe he could be won over by somebody like signing him a bigger check. If Claiborne wrote him a big check, you know, that's not why he would let him live at the end of the movie. So he's just purely like, uh, the task at hand individual mm -hmm. completionist, which I think is really interesting. And then the biggest line in the movie, which we hear a bunch of times and I'll continue to hear in my head, beyond, <laughs> is, uh, stick to the plan, anticipate, don't improvise, trust no one, never yield an advantage fight only the battle you're paid to fight, which is like his mantra for yeah. the killer. It's like his, it's like what he repeats to focus up, you know? Yeah, and you, you, they really make it very apparent that he's like thinking this in the moment because sometimes he gets interrupted while he's saying yeah. that, you know, and he, his thoughts like jump to whoever's talking or whatever action just happened. And I thought that was really cool. You know, like in these stressful moments, that's what he's, how he's trying to center himself, even though it's like, you're just trying to justify the wrong, you know, and and uh, the, the situations that you're in are causing you to slip. Yeah. You're getting further and further away from what you said you do because you are, in fact, getting emotional. Yeah. And you're, you're starting to care. And I you're, think that's where he slips in the opening is like just spending so many days like sleep deprived. Like here's another quote that says the biggest lie of the U.S. industrial complex is them claiming that. Uh, sleep deprivation doesn't qualify as torture. So insinuating how difficult it is for him to be unlimited sleep, to be focusing. Did he have the alarm set like every hour or was it quicker than that? Like he, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the time increment. Because I thought I saw an hour on his watch, but then I'm not sure if it was like his heart rate at the mm -hmm. time. Well, he, he can't afford to miss. Right. It probably would make sense because he can't afford to miss an opening if the guy comes home, the, yeah. the target. So I think that it all goes into why he like is slipping, which mm -hmm. is like the... The arc of the movie is that he's becoming more personal, more emotional, less professional, yeah. and he slips and misses this target when he even though he's got his 10,000 hours and he's fantastic yeah. at what he does because sleep deprivation and focusing for hours on end and like he's he's put in a position of like not being set up to succeed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the only reason he misses. Yeah. Is because of all these other factors. Pretty convenient that they left the blinds open too, right? Yeah. I thought she was about to close them. <laughs> she was, but I feel like she would have you would normally close that before she yeah. would come out, right? <laughs> At least I would. Yeah, I think the maids or somebody opened them when the the guy was coming Getting home. home. They knew yeah. he was going to be home. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's 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 convenient, but yeah. you know, it's, those, those hey, shots, I'm cool with those it. Shots it was are really cool. Yeah, but speaking of those cool shots, we should are we going to cinematography next? Cinematography. So this category encapsulates a lot. Uh, we got the. What you see on the screen, you know, the camera composition, but then also the camera movement, uh, the lighting goes into this. This is also where we kind of include editing uh, and also 
any VFX, if there are any, this film doesn't have a ton, you know, compared to like a Marvel movie or something like that. Uh, but if there are in a film, this is the category that encapsulates that. So this is like a category that has the biggest branch, I think, in like making the film. Um, and it's my favorite category to talk <laughs> about. Uh, and out of 10 points, I gave this a score of an 8.5. What did I, you give it? I gave it a score of an 8. Flat 8. Nice. Okay. Tell me why. I thought that the that the movie was really well filmed. Mm -hmm. um, there's... I, I like the way that David Fincher uses still shots, and I'm normally a big fan of, like, camera motion. But yeah. just, like, the way he framed him in the opening... The whole opening sequence is, like, was strong enough Money. to carry it to yeah. eight for me. <laughs> like, when he's, like, doing the yoga poses and he's, like, parallel to the table behind him, mm -hmm. the shot is just so, like, it has depth, it has... Like it, it has all these different things to draw your attention. It's filled. It's full. Um, I thought they had good camera movement in the open too. They had a good balance of like the locked off shots, but also like tracking shots with him the, wandering in the room, or like when the the male person was coming in. You know, the camera was following him and stuff. Like I thought those shots were good. I really liked the the shots through the scope. That was really cool yeah. camera motion because you're. For one, it makes you super uneasy to see him. Ha it's it's not connected to a rifle at the time, but he has like mm -hmm. the bead of a rifle on the head of like a child, so right. like a woman and child. So that just makes you uneasy naturally, even though it, you you know that it's for one a movie, and for two, it's not connected to the rifle. He's just holding the scope, but he's it's really cool the way that you're getting his perspective in those scenes, like down the bear. I love those scenes. It reminds me of the Batman when you get the opening shot down the the. The scope the binoculars yep but this the scope shots were really cool and he used them a bunch of times in there there's then there's shots in the reverse looking um towards him through the scope and his eye is enlarged yeah and those that's like my favorite shot of the whole <laughs> that was my favorite shot is down the scope where it, and it's the shots out the window are really beautiful you have like the scenic view of the city of this european city and i was wondering from your perspective with your experience do you feel like that was green screen because I feel like it was green screen. Which part? The shots inside the room, out the window, like they're showing. The, anytime they're showing like the targets. Yeah. All that. I feel like that had to be green screen. I think so. To like control that environment well, get the shots in the window of him. Like I feel like I'm sure that was green screen work, but it, it, but he Fincher always uses green screen work really well. Like it's, you'll notice it in the background of Fight Club out the windows. And stuff. Yeah. It's like he uses it really sparingly and. I'd, I'd imagine that they're on a set in a studio with that floor, you know, that he's on, and then they have the window uh, in place there, and then when they're shooting through the window, they probably don't have a window there but then even possibly when they're shooting outside of the building into the shot they might not even have the window there and that could be added in post uh, to get the reflections exactly where they want them so you can see him framed perfectly yeah. in this window where he's like kind of obscured but you still see him like you know he's there i was thinking how good those reflections look they have those exterior shots pointing into the window showing yeah. up a fast bender with the target's house reflected on the window mm -hmm. i was like Man, it must have added that in post and it looks really good. Like it yeah. adds to the feeling, the reflection adds to the feeling that you're looking at him looking at the, the, yeah. the target's house. And what kind of all like brings it into reality is like when he goes down onto the street, you know, and he's like, he looks and he sees that the guard at the front of the hotel or house or penthouse or wherever they're at. And he's like looking over and he's seeing all these different people kind of in this spot that he was looking at from up above. Yeah. That kind of helps bring it all to like, oh, this is a real environment. And he's like always calculating too. Like mm -hmm. Fastburner does a great job portraying that with his eyes where he's he's looking at the doorman and he's like, 
he looks like he's like sizing him up, you know, like he's getting a feel for everything in the everything that might be an obstacle to him at another point in time. He's always like yeah. very conscious. I thought the uh the fight scene, the we pretty much only got one fight scene in this film. I thought that was very well performed, but then also very well shot. Dude, the shapeness of the camera. Yeah, it, it felt like, like we were, yeah. it felt like we were there, but not only did it feel like we were there, like the pacing of the fight felt real. Like even though they were taking some hits and some shots that like someone probably wouldn't get up from, it oh my god, it all felt like it was happening in real time and like didn't it feel like it was yeah. like grounded and you were there and like each person got like a bunch of hits. He's He's not dominating this fight by any means, but like he's able to hold his own from his 10,000 hours of training, yeah. you know. Um, this guy's, his opponent is clearly bigger than him, stronger than him, but he's, he's able to strategically kind of get out of this and that's predicament that, that he's in. That's that Bourne esque feeling too of the environment being involved in the fight, like slamming people into walls and then him like picking up household items and throwing mm -hmm. them and breaking them over his head. Like Bourne introduced that into like the fighting world and it's very common now, like with yeah. things like John Wick, everyone's always using the environment to help them fight now. Um, but they sold it really well, I think, with the distortion sound they use is like a distorted like a microphone buzzing and then the shakiness of the camera made me feel like i got a concussion at the opening of the yeah. like when like you said some unrealistic hits in there where it's like he got rocked like by a giant huge man punching him in the face where he's just slack jawed like or when uh the big guy got knocked down onto the coffee table leg oh dude right up the butt he he was bleeding so much <laughs> like that's just pure adrenaline at that point <laughs> you know taking over like i liked how he was he, gonna die i liked how when he like after he made his first attempt for the gun he focused on the fight because i hate in a fight when they, all they do is go for a gun right it's like stop turning your back to the opponent and and <laughs> yeah. went back for the gun when he had an opening later in the fight so that yeah. felt like more realistic yeah totally agree that was, a, one, that was an incredible fight scene it was incredible. really good upper echelon of like fight scenes. and the, it had to be really good right because it was the only one that we got yeah so he dominated everybody else yeah it everything else was from the distance you know through the rifle or 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 he strategically got the upper hand to where there was no fight like he was in control of the scene god that was my favorite scene in the movie when he going he came up behind the um the lawyer's co-worker on a paralegal what have you when he snapped mm -hmm. her neck in the hallway dude yeah like it was unexpected right like that lunge he's like a dark shadowy figure in the background like mm -hmm. looking at it. takes one step forward and then just the the sound design again here coming in strong with that neck crack and then her tumble down the stairs like some was, stunt person sold that it was fast it happened quick which kind of just adds to the surprise of it you yeah. know that that jump factor is like oh shoot like i wasn't expecting him to do it right there you I know also like, like the story was because i wanted him to own up to that debt that right. she created you know making mm -hmm. the deal to let her kids I mean, because her kids didn't do anything wrong. Let them get the... Yeah, don't get it. What's his uh, mantra? Like, don't get attached or yeah. whatever. So, Which he's breaking his own rules because mm -hmm. he could have made her disappear, which is cleaner. Yeah. But then he, like, convinced himself. Too. We see him convince himself again here. He's like, he's like, oh, this is well, like... I think him doing it at the top of the stairs like that, maybe he's trying to hide of, like, she fell down the stairs. But I think... But I don't know. Weren't they in the, stretch? the lawyer's house? I feel like it's messy either way. I think they're in her house. Whether they're in her house or the lawyer's house, he goes missing, and in the same day she falls down the stairs, yeah. I think is a lot more suspicious. Sure. And it leaves behind evidence to draw details from. It's still suspicious for them both to go missing in the same day. Yeah. But, I mean, hey, they ran away together, whatever. It you was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, 
I've, I'm glad he broke his own rules. Yes. It's, it's part of the story. It shows the emotional breakdown. Yeah, he's yeah. not as, you know, robotic in some of the moments in the movie. Like, I feel like not killing the dog's an emotional decision, too. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like was only made to keep a sliver of humanity in the character enough that audiences would still like him. I think they know that audiences <laughs> turn against people who kill animals really quickly. Dude, for sure. And... The thing is, like... The brother of that guy would have turned into, like, John Wick or something. Like, <laughs> and come back for him. And you then killed my friend, yeah. but you killed my friend's dog. But you made one, <laughs> one really bad mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you here because I killed your father? No. You killed my father's pit bull. <laughs> that was my Me dog. Me and my father didn't have a great relationship, <laughs> but that dog was the only one I had growing up. <laughs> That dog was like my father. But like, think if you're thinking about an, uh, an assa- a cold, heartless assassin, like when he kills that guy, I think his name's Leo or something. When he kills the guy who is like the taxi driver, mm-hmm. that guy did nothing at all. That guy drove Dude. people in a cab. He was innocent as can be. He, and that was kind of in the beginning too, where like you didn't know like what he's where he sits, you know, yeah. like is he going to kill this guy? I that I let him go. I thought too. I thought so too. And then just out of nowhere, just boom. And he like killed real him with, quick. and he got out of the car, no hesitation, nothing, right. no feeling. So and then his car was parked there. That was really cool. That just shows you how audiences feel that writers know that they can get away with killing this guy who's done nothing and mm-hmm. is also honestly likable in terms of like the performance yeah. in the script. He's a likable guy. He's yeah. cool. Um, and they know they can get away with that and still have you on board with the character, but that he can't kill the dog because he goes out of his way miles to not kill this dog. Yes. He like he's he's like trying he makes fake treats. He's like throwing multiple over the fence trying to convince the dog. Yeah, the dog wakes up and he books it, runs for his he's, life when he has the gun. Like he's got a silencer, right? Like it would have been much easier. Just he could have, but yeah. And then and then he hustles into the house, still has the silencer. So then he just take it out on the guy, you know? Yeah, I think I think they just writers know yeah how people like they, they i think that's more of a balancing act for the character we were talking about cinematography <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cinematography was really good sound design andrew we've been hyping it up we've talked about it we've touched on it just a little bit with each category that keeps coming up what did you give sound design remember this this includes the soundtrack this includes the um i always forget the other word um Oh, uh, score! Score! Thank you, and also the foley, the the sound design that goes into like, you know, when you you hear the gun being assembled and all that stuff. Like, what did you rate sound design? I I gave the sound design an eight point five out of ten, which was my highest score in the movie. Solid. I feel like I could see myself going to a nine, but I I think that when it comes to like the actual score, the score wasn't like as in your face and big part as big a part of the story as I like. Mm-hmm. to feel like a nine or 10 is for a score. Yeah. Like they did use the Smiths as a theme throughout, which I think is really cool. The Smiths are kind of seen as like this, like darker myopic like band, which is mm-hmm. like how he feels. So he obviously really likes that band and they use multiple songs from the Smiths, which is really fun. But what, where it really was strong for me was in like the actual sound design, like the full work and everything. Right? What, did, what did you rate it? This was also the highest score that I gave in any of our categories. And I gave it a nine out of 10, um, and kind of like you said, the, I think the sound design itself, the Foley work, the, you know, like that's what carried it to that nine for me. But I I kind of also like the absence of kind of music in your face with this movie in particular. You know, normally I would like to kind of 
have the music motivate the emotion a little bit more, but I think they kind of relied a little more on the story and a little more on the acting to portray the emotion. And I think the sound design just like, it put me right in the room with them. Like the gun, like every little thing you heard. And it was like very clear and crisp and the whole movie, I was literally like, oh, my God, did you hear <laughs> yeah. that? I, and I look over at Brooke, and she didn't hear it because she was watching something on her phone. And I was like, gosh, no one's so appreciating uh, this like I am. Culture. <laughs> no, I feel like I felt it most strongly in the opening and then in the fight scene with the brute with, like, yeah. the story sound. But then in the opening, there's this really incredible part where he puts in the earbuds and he says, like, I find music can be a good way to focus. And he starts listening to the Smiths and he's looking down the scope as the target's coming in. He's trying to get his heart rate down. Now they're doing this thing where you hear the music at full volume when you have his perspective down the scope because you're hearing it because you're in his shoes. This was my favorite part of the sound design. Oh yeah, it by far is the best. Because mm -hmm. then when they reverse the camera and they're looking down, my favorite shot of the movie, they're looking down the scope through the eye of the scope at at the killer. Now you're hearing like a dampened version of the music as if you were hearing someone else listen to it in headphones, you know, standing next to them. And it was constant, like with every camera shift, like the sound of the music and the, the muffled or the volume, like it changed depending on where you were in location or in reference to the killer. Yeah, it's very and it strong. was so cool. Very strong in terms of perspective because it makes you feel like you're in the room with him when you're getting the exterior shots. Mm -hmm. And when you're getting the POV shots, it makes you feel like you are him. Yeah. So like it's just a very, very strong feeling for me in those scenes. And owe oh, oh, up to the sound design for that. And the cinematography too, looking down the scope, like I feel like they use sound really well throughout where like you would hear like a lot of people chattering in the background more so when he's like feeling paranoid in a, yep. in a busy place like the airport. So like the sound design just does such a good job of putting you in his shoes and making you feel like you're in the movie, like encapsulating yeah. you. And like you said, in those tense spots, you know, like we we the the sound of not only the music the tension you know but also the sound of the action like kind of right in your face you know like you you already mentioned like the snap of the neck oh, you know like oh, you know so like a, it was great you know and and it definitely elevated the movie uh experience by far I wish I had a better sound system <laughs> to, to hear it to its yeah. fullest potential. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to get your opinion on this then. So my favorite use of sound design is that scene we talked about where he's aiming down at the target mm -hmm. in, the beginning. in the beginning. Yeah. My favorite scene in the movie is when he snaps the woman's neck at the top mm -hmm. of the stairs. Just something about that really was jolted me. Jarring. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite performance in the movie was probably obviously Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Do you same. feel like you disagree with any of those? Um, favorite scene, maybe? The favorite scene is probably the one that I could be like, uh, what about this one? What about that one? I really, I did enjoy the fight. The fight was cool. Even the buildup of the fight where he's kind of like scouting and he's like, why do you have so many friends? You know, like, and he's, he went to the store and he bought meat and like, I thought it was for him, but it wasn't. I'm sure he ate some of it, but then he also made those, uh, like treats. distraction treats for the dog. Like, uh, I thought it was like very clever, like how he like got into the house and he drugged the dog. So the dog was a little like weary, you know, like, yeah. and went to sleep. Like, I don't know. I, I, I really liked that aspect of it. And then the opening was just, so clean and and smooth and like it was a 
solid, solid introduction to the character. So I think those two are my favorite scene. Um, the sound design of the Samuel the Neck was really cool. Um, and then what was the, the, the scope for the shot? Like yeah. that's, I can agree with that. That's, that's pretty good. The, the other scene that I think is really cool is the part of his preparation. Again, like you said, how the preparation is so cool. The, the warehouses he had stashed, like the U-Haul yeah. stations. And he, that's what reminds me of Bourne is like, he's got all these different passports and identities. Also clear John Wick reference at the house when he digs up the, um, mm-hmm. like the, yeah. all the guns and stuff buried in the yard, yep. John Wick reference. And then it feels like a Bourne reference to have all the passports and the, the, yep. he's got all the different license plates and different. Even kind of like Dexter in a way, like you, you mentioned earlier, like it felt like Dexter, like having his own little like torture chamber. Well, he has his own little room where, he was getting rid of the body as well, or at least preparing to do so. They didn't show us all the details of that, but it had that feeling to it. And then also with the internal dialogue, uh, it was, it felt like Dexter, which was really cool. So that wraps up sound design, which we both give high scores. And then the next category is out of five. It's set and character design. Okay. So set and character design, I gave this a four out of five, uh, because they went to so many locations they were all very different from each other but it all looked cohesive um also it kind of goes into second character design but maybe a little more cinematography like i love the colors and the the lighting the Mm. the palette that we got from this film was great so i think just the the cinematography on top of like all the locations that they were at just i don't know it it put it to the top for me it's good I, I gave mine a three out of five because I feel like it was there was nothing wrong with the set and character design that really like distracted or anything. I feel like there was nothing like extremely striking to me. Yeah. It did do a lot of sets. I don't. I feel, I feel like, like this is a hard category for me personally to rate because it's hard to like compare it to other movies like a big huge superhero movie or a big sci-fi movie like Blade Runner or something where like they that. Have the where, chance to do really cool costumes. Yeah, where it's like. You're in a different world. You're in a different yeah. universe. Blade Runner's a five. Yeah. Oh, for Bobby's sure. He's a five. Yeah. Like, you can be a lot more customized and, you know, like, unique and stylized. Even in but, this, though, like, I feel like Louisiana didn't really feel like Louisiana. It felt like it could have been another city or, you know. To me, it did. To me, they brought me to each location. I think they for, did like, so Louisiana well. Louisiana specifically, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess Florida kind of did, but like we live in Florida. I didn't feel anything super. Well, kind of felt like closer to like the Everglades, you know, and like uh, we're not over there very often, but I've driven through there far a south few times and stuff, you know, and like it, it felt like Florida to me. Yeah. Just not where we live. I just feel like I didn't feel the locations as part of the, as strong a part of the story, maybe, or it, and then the the outfits were mostly just very normal. I mean, I like the killer's disguise. As he said, it's based on a German tourist. Like, I think that, um, I like that his kind of like costume and the point of it is like being bland and there's like a splash of color with the, and like, that's not over the top. So it's hard to be like, oh, like that was fantastic, but it does the character justice and it does the character really well you know so that's why i gave it such a high score i just Uh, feel like it was good i feel like you don't have to defend your score to me really i understand it but i they had a lot of locations and i just feel like 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 mission impossible like those locations are just really cool you know like they're in Mm -hmm. europe they're using europe like didn't feel as much as like they've wrung everything out of the locations as i would have yeah i think I, i put myself in the the mindset of like this is the real world you know and 
and try to really compare it against other real world situations uh, to help give my score. And I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, good. Um, our last category is rewatchability. Um, this is a big category for me personally. Like if I want to watch the movie again and again, like that adds a lot of value to the movie itself. Uh, to me, this is out of five points. I'm curious, what did you rate this? So I gave it a three out of five. Okay. And I gave it that score because I would really enjoy to watch this movie again. Yeah. But um, I lost a couple of points for me just out of my complaints for the plot or yeah. whereas I wouldn't be as excited to watch the plot again, but I'd be rewatching it for like the cinematography, the narration, which I think is really fun to listen to. Like mm -hmm. his one tone voice. Like for I, me, it just starts, really good. it starts so strong. Like the first and second act are great. It's just that final like conclusion to the whole thing that like, I'm just not excited about, you know, but I did give it slightly higher than you. I gave it a three and a half out of five. Um, I feel like I would definitely be excited to watch this movie again. Um, so more than half of the time, I'd say, yeah, let's do it. You know, uh, kind of like you said, more so for the filmmaking aspect of it. And for me, there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of why I make or I watch movies, you know, yeah. is because it in inspires me uh, to one, consume other stories and then also make stories. It's similar to why I like rewatching Blade Runner, but I think Blade Runner does have a better plot. It's a little more dynamic for sure. Yeah, this one kind of like we said already, it's 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 not nothing crazy, nothing's over the top. It's it's kind of like straightforward, you know. It's not as dynamic as like Blade Runner or something. What did your total score come out to? So, I got a 7.7 7 out of 10. So mine was a 7.3, which mm. to me a 7.3 is like lower than what I would give this movie in my heart. It's like maybe yeah. more of an objective rating. Right. Like I said, like objectively versus subjectively, I think Past Lives is a better movie, mm -hmm. but The Killer is more my kind of movie. So yeah. like, you know, personally, I'd rate it higher, like an 8.2 or 8.5 8 range, like yeah. how much I personally liked it. But that's like my what my score comes out to with, you know, yeah. being harsh. I, I think mine would be, probably pretty close to where I have it at the 7.7, .7, but maybe more of like an eight, you know, just kind of round it up 80%. Like it's a solid movie. I, I love the visuals, the sound and all that stuff. Uh, right. I want to go through with you. I'm curious to know where this movie lands in your like David Fincher, like top three, top five. Mm. Cause that's, these are, it's so good, but it's, it's, it's definitely not my favorite. It's, it's, um, it's hard for me to rate a David Fincher top five because so many of his movies contend for like my all-time top yeah. five. Yeah. Um, for you, your favorite one is, is it the social network or seven? Seven. Seven. And then is it closely followed by the social network? Yes. Yeah. Then followed by Fight Club. Mm-hmm. And then what, what else would I be missing? I mean, Zodiac, maybe, and then this. For me, I would have Gone Girl, probably first. I think I would put this above Gone Girl. It's tough, though, because I do really like Gone Girl. This, yeah. I feel like, is close to Gone Girl for me. I feel like Gone Girl had a way more dynamic story it was dude gone girl complex. Up, up and down left and right. yeah like you she's dead she's back she's yeah and she's running away she's, it's dude it's i think the the complexity and the dynamics of the story like punts it way above the killer in my opinion um i really like seven i'd probably punt that at two i would probably punt i like the social network but it's 
I like this this feeling of like the you know the crime yeah. aspect to it a little bit more so I think I would have the killer just above social network zodiac too like zodiac's long man um I just recently watched it and just really enjoyed it me too yeah. it was a lot of fun I I enjoyed it more than like the first time that I watched it yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun so I feel like those three for me could kind of be moved anywhere um Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is lower for me I haven't seen that one it's very slow. Yeah. Panic Room is also very good. I put Panic Room ab uh, above the game and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. God, Seven's just so good. It is. Has to be number one. <laughs> so <laughs> you feel like it'd be in the top five, Killer? I feel. Like I think so. I, I, Out of the ones I've seen, I think I, I've only seen like five or six. I feel like the Killer and Gone Girl are teetering on the five, six spot for me. Uh, you should watch Gone Girl again. I think it would level out i think just beat the killer in, in your ratings i think i like zodiac more because of the people that are in zodiac because the actors zodiac has jake gyllenhaal mark ruffalo Stacked. and robert downey jr it's yeah it's ridiculous yeah yeah there's so many <laughs> oh my gosh yeah we, we both just recently watched it in the last month yeah we're it's it's Go watch Zodiac if you haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. It's really, really fun. Watch any of his movies and you'll have a good time. <laughs> He's, he makes great movies, dude. Um, one other thing I want to talk to you about in this movie, now that we're done with our ratings, is product placement in this movie. Did you? Yeah, I was going to bring that up. There's so much. It feels almost like a reference to Fight Club because Fight Club mm -hmm. is all about like product placement and like the capitalism taking over. So um, the ones I noticed in particular were McDonald's, Amazon, Home Depot, and Starbucks. Huge mega corporations in this FedEx. movie. FedEx. Yeah, FedEx, it helps helps get get a movie funded, you know. That and it, to me, it just makes it feel real too, right? Because that stuff's like thrown in our face all the time. So it's like, oh, he's actually in our world. Yeah, I felt the same. Especially he's going to a place that I could go to, using a service that I use. The main thing that I felt that with was the use of Prime to order something on Amazon Prime, and he yeah, like the next day, I was like, this feels like what you would do. If also, was like, it was like something. It was know? like. Dang, that was so easy. Like, yeah. I could do that. <laughs> you know, like, huh, you're putting it on a watch list. Key fob. <laughs> Copier like that. That was so easy. That's on Amazon? No way. But he did have to get the guy's key, which was. Yeah. But the, I, th I thought that that was interesting, especially because, like, the apparently there's a Starbucks cup in every scene or something of, of Fight Club. So it's <laughs> have, like, the product placement in here I thought was a cool homage. It's also not in your face in an annoying way where it's like, this is a commercial. It's organic. Yeah. It's or it's he needed something, so he ordered something online. And not that like it was annoying in Barbie, but they clearly had a car commercial in the middle of the movie like a legit car commercial which for that movie was was funny and it's it, it's, it fit. it's meta for yeah movie. it yeah. fit it's like no other cars on the road driving right. yeah it looks like, exactly like car commercial it it, that stuff like that could easily get out of hand and be too much. I'm wide know? awake, Sasha. That's, that's I quote that line so much that the mom says to the daughter. Where I like, oh, I, I in so many different scenarios for some reason I think that I am wide awake, Sasha. <laughs> All right, um, this movie is based off a comic, and normally if that's the case, we go into a little bit more in depth of the source code. But neither of us have actually read this comic. Um, I haven't really even looked into it too much. Have you? I've looked into it very slightly. Yeah. I'll tell you what I know is that the um, the killer, you can get the complete series online for, looks like 
just under $40. Um, we already That's mentioned typical. the authors earlier in the episode. Um, I can read you a little plot synopsis here. It says, as an elite assassin suffers a psychological crisis, that's what I talked about earlier, as he attempts to remove himself from the political ramifications of his kill- that his killings have caused, a professional, a man of few scruples, nerves of steel, and a steady trigger finger, but also a man on the verge of cracking. After misadventures in Central and South America, and having earned enough money to retire comfortably, the killer retires to Mexico, but his colleagues are still in need of his irreplaceable skills. And before long, he's drawn back into the great geopolitical game between Cuba, Venezuela, and the United States. Artist Luke Jacmon and writer Matt's um, deliver the definitive collection of the Eisner Award-winning Crime Saga, which the Eisner Award-winning is a very prestigious award in the comic book world. So these are uh, New York Times bestselling. Um, I'm sorry, not New York Times bestselling, but they um, are extremely revered comics in terms of winning that award. I'm not going to lie, that award. summary story sounds better. Sounds cooler. Yeah. They change. They, there's no mention of like a relationship, revenge dynamic of a lost yeah. love. Yeah. And he clearly wasn't trying to retire in the movie or like, I feel like that's a more interesting dynamic I, of I like, I also wanted more of that psychological breakdown. Like yeah. About. Yeah. And it seems like that's really touched on a lot in the comics uh, based on one paragraph, uh, summarizing it all. But you can get this online, like I said, for just under $40 and it's 768 pages. So you can read the entire complete collected works of Jackamon and Matt's of the killer. I feel like I wouldn't mind adding that to my collection. Me neither. I'd be very interested in seeing the differences in the story. I kind of like watching first. I feel like I'm less critical of the movie if I watch first. I like watching first as well. Um, this does, like you said, sound more interesting. And then it made might have made me disappointed in the movie if they changed a lot. Right. Yeah. And it... it I feel like people normally go the other way though. Like they would want to read the books first and then watch the movie, but I'm totally in the same boat with you. Like, even though it's a comic, like I would, I would rather watch it and then read it. One of the big reasons is because it helps me kind of understand everything a little bit better and everything. Yeah. There were points in this movie where I kind of rewound it to catch what people were saying again. I was glad I was honestly kind of glad to be watching it on streaming, Mm -hmm. especially like with the next map and stuff. There were scenes I wanted to rewind just to watch again. Yeah. Cause I was like, the shock factor was so high. I was like, Whoa, I'm reeling. Let me check that out again. And then I don't know if you can see it on there. Does the art look cool? I like the art style. I'll show it yeah. to you here in a second. Okay. I think it, it's it's cool, especially the cover has a cool use of drawing shadows. Because if the, the art style is like cool and unique and stuff, like that just sucks me right into yeah. the comic. I think in French it's called Le Tour, the killer. Because it's a French comic. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, we'll check that out. Maybe we'll maybe we'll cover the comic one day. All right. Would you recommend this movie to a friend? Absolutely. Yeah. It's me been too. always you know, it always it. depends on the friends sometimes, but I yeah. recommend it to general audiences because it's sure. a good movie. All right. That kind of wraps up our review on The Killer, David Fincher's most recent movie. Thanks so much for watching the podcast. Again, we post new episodes every Monday and Thursday. We're on social media everywhere. Uh, We post there daily so you can kind of interact and talk with us. We got a lot of new ideas kind of floating around. We got a few projects coming out uh, not too long ago. We had our D&D campaign come out. That was a lot of fun. That's based in like the Marvel and DC world. And we're all like superheroes. So we played Dungeons and Dragons in a superhero environment, which was really cool. Um, and then we have a short film that we filmed a few weeks ago. And we're in the middle of that post-production. Uh, working on that right now. We hope to have that out uh, in a few months. And that, that was a crazy learning experience right that was our first time diving into that and it's something that i want to do a lot more it was a lot of fun so uh keep an eye out for that if you want to make sure you don't miss it hit the bell so you get notifications when we post thanks so much and that's That's a wrap. wrap